hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Today we have a special guest on Queer Money, and it created a full circle moment for David and me. About some 13 years ago when we were paying off our credit card debt, we were watching Oprah Winfrey, and we watched as David Bach explained the latte factor to the world for the first time, and it was eye-opening. We were lucky enough then to meet David two years ago at a conference that we go to every year, and we've been trying to work with him ever since. Well, we are lucky enough to say that today David joins us to share his new book, The Latte Factor, Why You Don't Have to Be Rich to Live Rich. The Latte Factor book is an engaging story about Zoe Daniels realizing that her life is going really fast and that she's not exactly sure where she wants to get to. And in fact, this is something probably many of us can relate to. She then meets a barista who shares with her the three secrets of financial freedom, and they're easier than she thinks. It just takes a little bit of work, which we talk about later on in this episode. So, David Bach is one of the most trusted financial experts and best-selling financial authors of our time. He has written 10 consecutive New York Times bestsellers with over 7 million copies in print, including two number one New York Times bestsellers, The Automatic Millionaire and Start Late, Finish Rich. In addition to his books, David has impacted millions of people over the past two decades through his seminars, his speeches, newsletters, and thousands of media appearances. We aspire to have this kind of impact someday ourselves. David is also the co-founder of AE Wealth Management, regarded as one of America's fastest growing financial planning firms, and the founder of Finish Rich Media, a website dedicated to revolutionizing the way people learn about money. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So welcome, David Bach, to Queer Money. We're excited to have you. Well, you guys, it's great to be with you. I know it's, what, what I think it's two years ago we were together in FinCon. Yep, exactly, so, two years. And we've been trying to figure out a way to partner one way, shape, or form, and we finally got you on here. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I, I totally appreciate your patience. So thank you so much for bearing with me as we got this finally scheduled. And, you know, last but not least, it's it's great to be with you guys. I just got off the road. I've basically been traveling for almost two straight months with the the book launch of The Latte Factor. So I got home last night. You're my first interview since I'm back in New York City. And it's great to be with you guys. Thank Absolutely. you. Congratulations on all your good work. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah, we've been watching you as you've been going around the country. And we're like, wow, I'm tired watching them. <laughs> but that's yeah, awesome for you. It sounds like uh, you had a, a whole writing year or year and a half long writing process, then probably the publishing process, then going out and promoting the book. So are you kind of finally starting to be able to take a little bit of a breath? <laughs> well, you know, I think the breath will probably start in a few weeks. I've got media all day long today, tomorrow, the rest of this week. Um, but close, you know, we went to, I mean, so, the, you know, The Latte Factor is a book. You, you guys even heard me talk about it at FinCon in 2017. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was working on the book back then. It's been an idea that I've had for over a decade. Yeah. And, you know, for a long, long time, ever since I was on Oprah back in like 2004 with the a book I wrote called The Automatic Millionaire, I've had this dream to write a little story-based book that you know, would really reach that, what I always say is like the 98% of people who would never read a financial book. I wanted to write a little book that you could read in less than 90 minutes that would really reach also young people. Like I've got a 15 year old now who has read this book cover to cover in two hours and he's all motivated to open up a Roth IRA now. Nice. And, nice. That's you know, awesome. I have a nine year old who was jealous that the 15 year old had read the book and now he's <laughs> read the book and he's gone back to his class and given out books to his friends. So Really, I didn't expect kids that young to read this book. I really wrote it to reach millennials, but all age groups are reading this little story and they're getting super empowered and, and excited by it. And just the emotional response has been kind of like off the charts, aside from the sales. Like we, the book came out, we instantly hit the international bestseller list and then all the, the US national bestseller list. We hit the New York Times bestseller list, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Publishers Weekly. 
So just, you know, really kind of blown away by, by how fast this book has been adopted and how fast people are buying it and sharing it with their friends. It's been, I just got back and my publisher told me they went back to print six times in the last two weeks. Wow, nice. wow. And so, yeah, it's really exciting and I'm getting ready to move to Europe. So hopefully I can spread the message <laughs> all over Europe as I'm, as I'm living abroad next year. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So yeah, the book is very enjoyable to read and it, the front cover, it says it takes about an hour, hour and a half. And I thought to myself, there's no way that a book about money can be that fast of a read. <laughs> but actually, it took me about an hour and a half to read the whole thing. So that's awesome. Well, and you guys have read so many financial books. Like, you know, when you read The Latte Factor, what, what did you think? What was your emotional response to it? I really enjoyed the story behind it and the way that you colored the frustrations or the angst that Zoe was feeling uh, at the beginning of the book. And then as the principles were being revealed to her throughout the book by the coffee shop owner, it was very inspiring. And, and it really connected with me. And I was having flashbacks to moments of revelation in my own life of when I started to realize, okay, I'm not spending according to my hopes and dreams. I am kind of doing the compound effect, but the wrong way. <laughs> right. Right. I right. Think the other thing is that you know, there's a lot of personal finance books or finance books out there that can be so incredibly dry and unrelatable. Even if they do provide some sort of scenario or something that may be a slight story, but because this is woven in like a story throughout the book, and you know, Ryan reminded us of the richest man in Babylon, mm -hmm. uh, that it just allows the reader to carry on or maybe picture themselves in this type of scenario. Maybe not exactly, but at least it's it's more relatable when you see this story from beginning to end. Yeah, well, and that was my goal. Like, so, like, the main character in this book is a woman named Zoe Daniels, and she's 27 years old, and she lives in Brooklyn, and and she works in New York, and she's been in New York for six years, which happens to be this is where I live, and and like literally right now, if you could see where I'm sitting, I'm, I'm in I'm in my apartment, and I'm staring right at the World Trade Center. The World Trade Center is probably I'm basically one building away from the World Trade Center. If I had a really strong football arm, I could throw <laughs> I could throw a football from here to where where the building is. Wow. But Zoe Daniels has been working in the World Trade Center for six years, and she has actually, interestingly enough, she has her dream job. She's working in publishing for a travel magazine. And she's been working there for six years and she's been getting, you know, little tiny raises. But what's happened to Zoe, like so many people who live in major cities and quite frankly, all over America, is that even though she's been making a little bit more money each year, she's not saving anything. She's living paycheck to paycheck. And at the very beginning of the book, Zoe comes out of the subway station at the Fulton Center, which is right now downtown. And she comes out in this area called the Oculus, which is below ground. It's like a four and a half billion dollar development. And it's all marble. She walks underground towards her office and she sees on this LCD screen, which is, it's a real place. It's like the largest LCD screen in America where all these advertisements run. She sees an ad and the ad has a boat, which is sitting in the middle of a desert. And then the words come up that say, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. Right. And it kind of stops her. And she comes up, uh, she takes the escalator up above ground and she comes up right at the 9-11 Memorial, which happens to be the number one tourist attraction also in New York City and I think in America. But she's gone, she's gone by this memorial for six years and never really looked at it, never really taken it in. She's always rushed right into her office. And in the very first chapter, she sits down right in front of the 9-11 memorial and sees, sees people crying and mourning. And for the first moment, she sort of sits back and, and takes it all in. And then she asks herself this really critical question in life, which is, where is she going with her life? And that's how the book starts. And then she comes to her office and she jumps back into work. And later that day, she goes to lunch with her boss, who happens to become her first mentor. You don't really know it at the time, mm -hmm. but her first, her boss, who's a woman named Barbara, listens to her talk about her financial woes, right? Like basically Zoe's kind of bitching at lunch about the fact that she's living paycheck to paycheck and she can't afford anything. And her boss recommends that she talk to this gentleman named Henry, who works at this coffee shop in Brooklyn where she lives. And that's what begins Zoe Daniels' kind of journey where she starts to find these mentors that teach her that you don't have to be rich to live rich, that small amounts of money can completely change your life, and that there's really three secrets to financial freedom. And in a story that's weaved together, she learns 
how to actually put herself first financially. And then it changes her whole life. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. I was just going to say, David, we believe this, but maybe you can share with the listeners why you think it's so important to kind of have that picture of where you want to be. I think so many people, it seems, especially when it comes to finance, they immediately want to rush in and start applying the numbers and applying the fixes. And why do we need to set that picture out in front of ourselves first before we can actually really drive to any sort of change? It's such a good question. And, and, and I, I want to ask, can I ask you guys a question first? Though? Sure. I'm, I, I want to hear, because I know you've probably shared your story over and over again, but you, when I met you guys at FinCon, you briefly shared with me your story, how you guys saw me on Oprah mm-hmm. right. and you saw me do a, a show on getting America out of debt. Right. And I know you guys were in debt and then you became motivated to get out of debt. What was it that became your driving force? to change your life financially? Was it numbers or was it something bigger than that? I'm just personally curious. No, it definitely wasn't numbers. But what it was, was that we decided that we wanted to build a vacation home up in the mountains in in Colorado. When we started to look at our situation, we realized that we don't know where we got the impulse to build a vacation home because one, we couldn't afford a home to vacation away from. And then we (laughs) realized that we were in $51,000 in credit card debt. And we started to ask ourselves the question of what's going on with, why are we making so many mistakes? Why is this so hard? We're two 30 something year old men making decent money. And according to Jim Rohn, that's the recipe for success. And why are we sabotaging ourselves? And then we realized, well, we're not necessarily living according to what our hopes and dreams were. We were kind of making up for lost time as well as trying to impress everyone else. And it wasn't until we realized that we wanted to save for a comfortable retirement, give back to our community and travel on cash rather than credit, that we had sort of the vision of what we wanted our lives to be. I guess I would also add that um, because we had that aha moment, we took a quick look at where we were headed. You made the comment, if you don't know where you're headed, you're not going to like where you're going to get. And we looked at where we were headed and said, we're not going to like getting there because we were going in a direction that was completely diametrically opposed to where we wanted to be both financially, emotionally, and physically. We just realized we were not heading in the direction that really, really wanted to be in. See, I, I mean, and what you just, what, what you guys both put yourself through is, is what I would call vivid vision, right? Like you got yourself a vivid vision of where you didn't want to be, and you got yourself a vivid vision of where you did want to be. And what I've always taught for years, the first book I ever wrote was a book for women. It was called Smart Women Finish Rich. Mm-hmm. What made that book so successful and that whole platform so powerful was that it taught women a process that I taught to my clients, which was what I call purpose-focused financial planning, where you look at what are your values, what's really most important to you, and then you check and see, is the way you're spending money aligned with your values? Or is it in conflict? And so you did that, right? Like you realize like we're spending more money than we make. We're in debt, but we have values and things that we want that are different than where we're currently going. And you created a new vision for yourself. And you were spending money in a way that was in conflict with your values. And so to answer your question that you asked me, which is why is this so important? When your values are clear, this is what people should write down like if they're taking notes. When your values are clear, your financial decisions become easy. The reason people don't do what they know they should do is that they're not really clear about why it's really important. And money's not a big enough motivator. I always say when I'm on, when I do, you saw me say this at FinCon, like having a million dollars is actually not a motivator. Knowing right. what that million dollars could do for you, that's a massive motivator, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. you know, a million dollars could make it so I could leave my business. I mean, I could leave my job. A million dollars could make it so I could travel around the world. A million dollars could make it so I could give back to my community. A million dollars could make it so I could help my kids have a better life than I had. Like, I, and it doesn't have to be a million dollars, right? That's just an example. Like, for most people, having $10,000 in a bank account would completely change their life. Like for most people, the average American's got less than you know $500 in savings right now. Right. Six out of 10 Americans can't get their hands on $1,000. So when you go around America, I always talk about like, I've been talking about this 100 day challenge, right? Like if you happen to be the average American and you could just save $10 a day for 100 days using the principles of the latte factor, go figure out where you're wasting small amounts of money 
cut out literally the latte or the beer or the martini after work or one lunch a day, make your meal at home and save $10 a day. In a hundred days, you'd have more than six out of 10 Americans. And for some people, it's not $10 a day. It could be $50 a day, right? It depends on what you make. But giving yourself a financial challenge to then get you to a point where you can accomplish a dream that's real is where it all begins to change. Like you guys becoming clear, like we won't have a vacation house. And you said, we don't even have enough money to have a home. Like we have credit card debt. How can we have a vacation home? But But you became totally clear about what it is you wanted. And then it all becomes exciting and motivating. And to me, that's where the fun of all this is. Like it's the fun in designing your life. And I think a big thing I would tell people who are listening today is like, It all comes down to the questions that you ask yourself because most people ask themselves questions that keep themselves broke. So as an example, if you guys had asked yourself with a question, which most, which which is very easy to do, which is like, why am I so in debt? Why am I so stupid? Why am I so bad with money? Why does my life suck so much? Why am I so unlucky, right? Like people go through a series of questions that are negative typically when things aren't going right. Right. And when you do that, you just ingrain yourself in a life of negativity and you don't find the solution. The opposite of that is you ask yourself a better question, which is, how would I get out of this debt? Whose podcast could I listen to to get out of this debt? What (laughs) actions could I take to get out of this debt? And then go back to you guys, like, how could I be able to afford a vacation home? What would it take for us to have enough money to have that vacation home? Where would that vacation home be? And when would we go? You know, how many years would we want it to take us to have that vacation home? And then when you change the questions, when you flip them, you go from a life of desperation to a life of hope and opportunity. And that's where it all becomes fun. And, you know, I I went to my wife two years ago and I said, you know, honey, I'm going to write this new book. I've got three books coming out. I'm I'm updating Smart Women Finish Rich, Smart Couples Finish Rich, The Automatic Millionaire. Then I'm going to write a fourth book called The Latte Factor. I'm going to put that book out. And by the way, I've started a whole new registered investment (laughs) advisory firm. I will have been doing that for three years. I go, but at the end of those three years, you know, I said, honey, we could go live abroad for a year. If, we're, if we could go live anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? And that became the question that started to redesign our lives. Like, our son's going to be a sophomore. It's our last chance to take him abroad for a year, to have the whole family live abroad for a year. Where could we go live? What would be a great school to put him in? And we could have the experience of a lifetime. And that began our new journey, which for us literally starts from the day, I don't know when you'll air this, but from the date of us recording this, in 32 days, my family is picking up and moving to Florence, Italy, and we're going to have a whole new life experience. Because we, because I basically came home one day after a long flight and asked my wife the question, hey, if we could go live abroad for a year, where would you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Right. Well, I think that's so profound. You're kind of flipping the script. I think so many of us get wrapped up in the minutia of, of how do I slowly acquire all the money that I need to do what I want to do, we often don't think of what is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to achieve? What do I want my life to look like? Then how do I reverse engineer to make that happen? And what am I doing today that I can change just modestly to help me get to that goal much more quickly? Well, and I'll take it one step further because you just said it. You go, the what, right? What is it that I want to go do? What else you have to ask is why do you want to go do it? Right. It's like I'm super intentional about my life. Like this, the whole core of the latte factor, the theme in this book, this deeply resonating spiritual theme of this book, you need to live your life richly now. Mm-hmm. You need to not put off your life. You need to stop waiting. You need to go live your dreams now. You need to start working towards your dreams now. And I'm just super conscious of in my life. And this is what I've been teaching as I go around the country that you need to be awake to the fact that you're not going to live forever. And the next 10 years are going to be the best, healthiest 10 years of your life. And what do you want to go do with them? And if you only had 10 years left to live, what's left for you to do? And then I've taken it further. I'm like, look, and if you've only got three years left to live, well, then what do you want to be doing? And why do you want to be doing it? And I think it's just important that people, you know, they come to these podcasts and they're maybe they're here because they want to get out of debt. And I would just say, you know what? The clock is ticking and you're going to die. And the time to live your best life is right now. 
this moment. If you knew you had 36 months left to live, there's a whole lot of shit that you're worrying about right now that you would not be spending time worrying about. There's a whole lot of people in your life probably that you would not be spending time with. And you would become super specific and intentional about who it is you want to spend time with. You'd go get your I love using check. You'd be focusing your life's energy. People talk about your life's work. Your life's energy, you would use your life's energy differently if you knew you had 36 months left to live. And I just think people need to wake up. I just came back from California. I was with uh, a best friend of mine from college, and he has basically been diagnosed with ALS. And, and, and that's not even really a fair statement because he's been, they can't diagnose ALS. He's, everything else has been pulled away. And so mm-hmm. let's say, we think you might have ALS. And so my friend may be dying. And, you know, I was with him. <laughs> This is three days ago. And I, and I said to him, you know, in a weird way, because he can't even talk right now. He's, he's no longer able to talk. Mm-hmm. And I said, in a weird way to my friend, you're more positive than I've seen you in 25 years. And he typed out for me on his typing machine. Well, do you know what, David? I figured out I've either got to get busy living or I'm going to get busy dying. Right. And I was like, oh, God. You know, and now there's there's possibly a miracle taking place. It, it, it is an LLS. He went to another doctor yesterday. And, but he has a different look at life right now than he's ever had. I need to get busy living or I'm just going to get busy dying. And and he's 52 and I'm 52. And I just, you know, usually it takes these moments in people's lives where they wake up to the fact that this is, you don't have an ungifted amount of time left in your life. You know, I wrote this last book, The Latte Factor, to wake people up to realizing you've got a great life. Go live your best life today and use this money that you might be wasting on little things to free yourself to go truly live your best life. I love that. Part. So, so, David, I, I absolutely, we absolutely agree with you 100% here. But I think that a lot of individuals, and I think John and I have included, fall pray to this on uh, on a somewhat regular basis that we sometimes get sidetracked by what we think are our values but they actually end up being values of our friends or our family or our community some people feel like they have to do a certain thing to be validated in their community and they adopt that as a value but at the core it's not really theirs what are your suggestions when we think a value is ours, but it's not really? How do we uncover that? Oh, that is such a great question. So I'll tell you what I learned from my grandmother because she was my life money mentor and mentor in life. And then at the end of the latte factor, there's a Q&A section where I tell a story about my grandmother that also is weaved into the latte factor book. It's a story that changed my whole life. And it kind of goes to the core of what you're really asking me, which is, my grandmother at 86 had a stroke and on her deathbed, I didn't know it was going to be her deathbed. I just thought she was going to get better. But I was finishing Smart Women Finish Rich. This is back in 1997. And I that book has a lot of my grandmother's life lessons in the book. The book's dedicated to her. And she knew the book was coming out. She knew I was finishing the book. The book was coming out the next year. And so I said, you know, Grandma, I'm turning this book in like in the next 90 days. And, you know, I put all your, your lessons in here. Are there any last life lessons in here that you want to share with me? And she said, no, I've taught you everything you need to know. And then I asked her if she had any regrets in life. And she actually thought about it and came back to me and said she did. And she went through her life's regrets. And she went through five of them all the way back to being a teenager. And she's 86 years old. And as she went through her regrets with me and she remembered them like it was yesterday, she said, the lesson is not, David, in my regrets. She said, the lesson is in why I have them. Mm. She said, the reason I have these regrets is that I came to a fork in the road and I had two choices, one where I could go for the gold, where I thought the real, the real, what I really wanted was at the end of that road, but that road had a lot of risk involved. And then she said, I had another road I could go down, which was safer. And she said At every one of these regrets, when I came to the fork in the road, I didn't take the risk. I took the safe road. And she said that the lesson I want you to know is this. You're going to come to forks in the road in your life. And she said, I'm here at 86 and I'm going to die in this bed. I'm probably never going to leave this hospital. And I don't want you to be 86 and have the same kind of regrets that I have. Because the regrets I have is I, I don't know what could have been. And she said, so when you get to the fork in the road, there's going to be a voice inside of you that's your little boy. And this is where I'm going to answer your question. She's like, that little boy 
is going to be telling you, let's go for it. Let's take the risk. Let's do this. And she said, then there's also going to be a big boy saying, no, 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 take the safe road. You know, you shouldn't take the risk. You should go this way. And she said, a lot of times that big voice isn't just your big boy. It's society's voice. It's your parents' voice. It's your boss's voice. It's your wife's voice, right? Like it's all the peer pressure around you. No, no, no. You should take the safe road. And she said, all I can tell you is when you get to the fork in the road, David, I was, I just turned 30. She said, you need to listen to your little boy and let your little boy come out and play. (laughs) And then you won't look back with regrets. And that was a life-changing moment for me. That lesson was a life-changing moment. I drove back to my office at Morgan Stanley and I told myself within three years, I would leave Morgan Stanley and I would go dedicate my life to financial education, even though it wasn't the safe way to go, even though I had a totally secure career, even though I was a successful financial advisor making a lot of money. I made a decision then and there that I would change my whole life to go try to help millions of people by writing books on personal finance, which was crazy at the time. Probably like when you guys decided to start a podcast. Crazy, <laughs> right. right? Like, And yet... It worked out. And so I think you have to listen to, you know, how do you get clear on your values? You got to listen to the little boy inside of you or the little girl inside of you that's talking about what it is that you really want. And I think what happens is we get busy and we get older and we get more and more commitments is the little voice inside of us that's so important to listen to gets quieted and kind of gets crushed down. And you got to wake up to it. You got to wake up to it. And sometimes that's about learning like how to be silent learning things like meditation or just going out for a walk for two or three hours without anybody else, without earphones in your ears and listening to your heart. Because people go, oh, I, I, don't, I can't meditate. Okay, well, can you go for a walk? Yeah. Can you go for a walk for a couple hours without anybody else with you where you're just forced to think? Because if you do, a lot of times the stuff that's inside of you that really wants to happen will come out. And also listen to the voices telling you what you don't want to be doing anymore. You know, part of me wanting to leave, pick up and move to Florence or move abroad was I'm ready for a whole new experience in life. I'm ready for my family to have a whole new experience in life. And anytime you decide to make changes in your life, it's hard. Even if you're doing well financially, it's still hard, right? Like the process of just selling a home and shutting down a business and and moving abroad and leaving all your friends. It's not easy. Like people think they see these great lives that other people lead and they go, oh, well, that must have been easy for them. No, it takes great effort. But so does also having a mediocre life. Like I see some of my friends right now and people I know who are in their 50s and their life is not turned out the way they wanted to. And I, I think, gosh, you know, how do they end up in that place where their life is totally not working? And I think, you know, they've just made a decision little by little over and over, over a couple decades to not actually go for their dreams. And now instead of having their dreams, they have a miserable life. And the beauty of it is, by the way, if you happen to be listening to this and you have a miserable life, is that you can decide today to change it, right? Like I was with another friend of mine who basically said to me the the other night, because his life has not worked out the way he wanted it to. You know, he said, David, it's kind of like when you go golfing and you shank a golf ball. Remember when we used to go golfing and we would shank golf balls? And I go, yeah. (laughs) And he says, well, I've just shanked about 17 years of my life. And I was like, wow, that's pretty brutal. Well, you know what you could do? You could decide tomorrow to start over again. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. So I've got so many questions, (laughs) uh, but the first one I've got, and you, you alluded to this in the book, but there's always this perception that you're talking about all these people, these living their best lives, living these amazing lives. And it always feels like it's not for me. It's for them. For whatever reason, I'm not worthy of that. I'm not smart enough to achieve that. I don't have the courage to do it. How do you overcome that sort of, that feeling that it's not that opportunity or that great life isn't for me? Well, I would say this, first of all, honestly, go read The Latte Factor. Because I truly believe if you read this book in 90 minutes, you will be sparked inside of you to find that fire that will make you realize that this life could be for you. That's what's happening right now with this book because it's been amazing on Instagram where people can come over and find me or 
you know, on Facebook and just the emails that we're getting, like thousands of people who are reading this book and being like, oh my God, I cried at the end of this book. Like, I've got it. It woke me up. I'm going for my dreams. I'm putting myself first. You have to make a decision to go for your dreams and put yourself first because if you don't, nobody else is going to do it for you. That's one of the lessons Zoe Daniels learns in this book. Nobody's coming to save you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so sad to me. I watch people who are just mesmerized by politics. 20,000 people went to show up to hear Trump speak yesterday to announce his his new campaign. And, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those people slept overnight to go to that, go hear him. Like, well, that's great. Super entertaining. Nothing that Trump is going to do is going to change your life. And take Trump out of it. Put in another politician. No politician is going to change your life. No one ever is going to change your life. You're going to have to change your life. (laughs) Absolutely. No one you're going to marry is going to change your life. No boss is going to change your life. Like no one else is coming to save you. You have to save yourself. And so I just, you know, it's sad because people get stuck in this sideshow of these things that can literally suck up their whole life. Yeah, right. Instead of going and living the life you deserve to live. And I just think anybody who's listening to this is actually free, right? Like they're probably not in jail. They're probably listening to you and they're free. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, you know, if you're free, the question is, are you really free or are you keeping yourself a prisoner in a life that you no longer want? Right. And if you are, if like what I just said went right to your stomach where you're driving to work and you're like, oh my God, I am a prisoner in a life I don't want. Then the question is, what could you do today to start changing the direction and get out of that prison? 100% agree with you. We often talk about our community is distracted by a number of things and politics is, is one of them because that can only take you so far. No one, like you said, is going to come save you. But I have a, more of a, a tactical question. We also have a lot of people in our community who are living below the poverty line. The average transgender woman of color l- earns less than $20,000 a year, despite 40% more likely having more education. When people are kind of at a certain income level, they bought into the, the latte factor. They definitely see that this is an opportunity for them. What can they start doing to start to implement the strategies of the latte factor when they've only got, they don't actually have that many lattes in their life? You, you know, you just, you, you just asked a question that is, there's no miracle cure for a person who's making $20,000 a year. The person who's making $20,000 a year is not going out to Starbucks and having a $5 latte. Right. They're not, right? Like, and there's a whole lot of people, by the way, that are just like what you just said. So, you know, for me to say to a person who's making $20,000 a year, you should cut out your lattes and that will help you. It's just completely disingenuous. It's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, A person who's making $20,000 a year is basically starving, Right. right? So then the question becomes, how could that person go make more money? Right. Because there's a whole lot of things that person could go and do, right? They could go be an Uber driver and make 50 grand a year. They could go work for Fiverr and, and come up with, you know, do something that makes 50. You literally could go out on the corner and beg and you could make more than $20,000 a year. So, and I'm not trying to be like heartless here. Like there's just something that you could do. Mm-hmm. I know this, making $20,000 a year is a really, really tough way to live. So the question has got to be like, Not what is one thing you could do to go make more money. What are a hundred things you could go do to make more money? Like you've got to break the mindset of I'm stuck living like this. I have to be honest. I don't, I don't really speak to that situation. It's not who I'm talking to. It's not my marketplace. Mm -hmm. I don't come in contact with people living like that. And it's probably not who's even buying my books to be totally honest with you. Um, Although you could go to the library and get the books for free, but Again, those people, people who are stuck in a, in, a, in a really low poverty level income level, the government's not coming to save you. Right. And I just think the politicians will, will talk about that they're coming. You know, I have a program to save these. No they, no, they don't. And they're not going to. If anything, the one thing that you can count on in this country in the next 10, 20, 30 years is that all the things that have been put in place to help people who don't have money they're going away, right? Like there's going to be less government services to help those in need mm-hmm. in the future than there are today. And, you know, it's, it's wrong. Like I was in Los Angeles recently and you go downtown LA and there's blocks of homeless people, blocks of homeless people in tents. 
living on the streets. Like it's, you've never seen anything like what's going on in downtown Los Angeles, but it's not just downtown Los Angeles because I've traveled over the country. There are parts of our country today where people are living in tents on the side of freeways. Okay. So you can go, well, there's, there's something wrong in our country. And by the way, there's totally something wrong in our country, but I don't believe that we're coming to save these people, which is sad and wrong, but people have to learn how to save themselves. We are a country that today the rich are truly becoming richer. There's a small segment below the rich that still have some hope and opportunity. And there's like half of America that's being left behind in the dust. Mm -hmm. And part of that is there are two asset classes that you have to own in order to participate in an economy like ours is you have to own stocks and you have to own real estate. And if you don't own one of those two asset classes, you're just being left behind. And those two asset classes, the system is set up to help investors who own those two asset classes get richer. Today, as we record this, the stock market's at an all-time high. Real estate prices at an all-time high. If you just owned a home in a major city and you've been funding your 401k plan because you have a normal job, you should be doing really well financially. Like Potentially, you should be as wealthy as you've ever been if you've been doing that. Exactly. And I think I think everything that you said is very poignant to all demographics. One, the money myth number three, no one's going to come save you applies to everyone. But on the flip side of that is you do have the opportunity, especially in this country, to save yourself. There is a strategy for you to get to that point. I would just add in, it kind of goes back to that beginning of seeing that picture of that boat in the desert. <laughs> everyone needs to do that. Whether you are above the poverty line or below it, you need to ask yourself, is this where I want to be? And if it's not, what are the steps that I need to take? That's exactly what we did is we said, we don't want to be in $51,000 in credit card debt. We don't want to be here next year. We don't want to be here two years from now, 10 years from now. And it's not necessarily cutting out the latte factor, but there you can use the same principles to actually think about how can I grow my income by $5 a day? How can I add an extra $1,500 or $3,000 a year to my income? And sometimes it is just small things that you do every day that can add that little bit of money that then allow you to start chipping away at the other sides of building up your education or putting money into the stock market. You can invest for as, as little as $5 with some of the technology available today. Well, and you just, you know, I think when you say something like $10 a day, sometimes it just goes right past people's heads. Like, let's just do the math on $10 a day. So, because there's a chart in the very back of the latte factor. Right. And I always say in the book, it's not about the coffee. It could be anything. It's just a metaphor. But use $10 a day. Let's just pretend you can figure out how to make 10 extra dollars a day, which by the way, my kids come to me for little jobs to make $10 a day, right? Like $10 a day, which is $300 a month. If you're 25 today, if you make 10 extra dollars a day, you invest it automatically. You use an app like Acorns, like you just talked about. There's all these apps out there where you can save money easily automatically. Mm -hmm, right. You put money into an, an investment account, you save $10 a day. If you turn around four decades later and you're 65, if you've earned a rate of return that just matches the stock market, right? Like you put it in an S&P 500 fund, leave it alone, earn 10%. You'd have over $1.9 million at 65 in savings. Right. $1.9 million by saving $10 a day. And even if you cut the rate of return in half, you'd still have nearly a million dollars. So people just need to know like $10 a day, which is more than the average American saves, could completely change your life if you invest it. Right. And, and you know what? The thing I love about this is that. John and I did this back when we were digging ourselves out of debt. We committed to putting aside, even though it wasn't as much as we wanted to while we were paying off our debt, we committed to putting money into our 401ks. And that led to the freedoms and liberation that we have today of not having to be working for someone else or having a, a specific kind of job or having to be in a specific city. We have the freedoms because we have built that nest egg for ourselves by investing in our 401ks. 
And also you built a business, right? Did somebody come over and hand you this podcast and hand you your blog? Absolutely not. <laughs> was, it, was it easy? Did you like go and listen to somebody speak for an hour and then just go online and have an instant podcast and an instant website? It's 4.30 in the morning until nine o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> Did like a hundred thousand people show up and listen to your first podcast? <laughs> We're still waiting for that one. <laughs> I just, I think people just think that, that this stuff just happens, right? Like I just put out my 10th consecutive New York Times bestselling book. People think, oh, he just wrote a book because it becomes a New York Times bestseller. No, actually it didn't. We, we spent a year on the marketing plan for this book. And we spent the, I spent the last six months nonstop putting this book message out to the world. I'm still doing it. I'm on a podcast with you right now. Right. Nobody's paying me to do this podcast. I'm doing this podcast to spread the message of a book I wrote called The Latte Factor to help people realize that 5 to $10 a day could change your life. This is not, by the way, how you go and get rich. I have an RIA that I'm a co-founder of. Since I told you guys I was launching that at FinCom, right. that firm today has nearly $8 billion under management. That's a big business. That business also didn't just get done overnight. So the things that you design in your mind, you can build in real life. But it takes this thing called, it's four letters, work. W-O-R-K. <laughs> right. It takes work. And the thing is that most people do go to work, but they go to work in a zombie state at a job that they hate doing, something they don't love, often working for someone they don't respect. If you're going to work right now doing a job you hate for a company you don't like, working with a boss you don't respect, that's called a very difficult life. Yeah. And so the question you'd be asking yourself is, what would a better life look like? And what could I do to prioritize having a better life? And part of it always comes down to, a big part of it, like a lot of it, like almost all of it, comes down to fixing your finances. Because when you, when you ask people why they're trapped where they are, it's because of money, right? right? In most cases. Right. And so then the question becomes, okay, well, what would it take for you to be able to get out of that bad situation? What would it, if you're in an abusive relationship, what would it take for you to get out of the abusive relationship? It almost always comes down to money. And there, there's nothing like having the financial freedom to be able to walk away from things you don't want to do or walk away from people you don't want to be with. And if that becomes your driving force to get you to go make some more money and save some more money, then, then fantastic. But get clear about it. Live an intentional life with clarity around what it is you really want and stop pretending like this is going to figure itself out and somebody's coming to save you because they're not. Right. To me, I think that's probably the crux of this entire message. Live intentionally. And the way to do that is to figure out what is it you most want and then figure out a plan to execute on that. And yeah. And also, I'll just say one more thing to this too you can change your mind later, right? Like people get caught up in like, oh, I don't know for sure what it is I want. Well, come up with one small thing that you want. Like you guys are getting ready to go to Spain, right? Like we're talking about, I'm going to Florence, you're going to Spain. I'm sure a lot of planning went into that, right? You decided, we, well, we want this. Right. And it wasn't like, well, do we want Spain for the rest of our lives? We didn't make a decision, do we want Florence for the rest of our lives? We're like, we want to go to Florence for a year and then we'll figure out the next step. And so don't get caught up in having this grand master plan for the whole rest of your life. Come up with a little plan to make your life better in the next 12 months. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, John said that the crux of this is being intentional. But I think the, the other piece of it is that you don't have to make these huge leaps and bounds. You can make small decisions every single day that add up to big changes over your life. Absolutely. In fact, it's all about small changes because it's the small changes that create big wins. Right. And, and I just taught, I just did a, a podcast with a friend of mine, Rachel Hollis. She's got a big pod podcast called Rise, and she just did a half marathon. And we were talking about small steps, and I was like, "Oh, Rachel, so did you just wake up and go do a half marathon?" <laughs> and she was laughing, right? I'm like, you, "Of course, you didn't just go do a half marathon, right? Like." You literally had to work up to doing a half marathon. You had to go get off the couch, put on your workout clothes. Maybe you first went and ran a quarter mile and then a half a mile and then a mile and then two miles. Like you built towards a half marathon. And it's the same thing with money. You build towards the million dollars with small daily increments. It's the same thing with leading an intentional life. You might, you might start off by simply in the morning meditating. And then writing in a journal 
and writing down three things you're grateful for and three things you're looking forward to the next day throughout the rest of the day. There's so many micro steps you can take to have a better life. And I just say, you know, come up with one micro step you could take today and then build off that. Yeah. Finding your latte factor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and we all have them. And I think that when we recognize that we have some and we can start to get rid of them, then what happens is we maybe start to recognize that we actually have some other ones that we didn't think were actually maybe things that we're clinging on to, habits, expenses, ways of life that we cling to, that actually after we peel back the first layer, we recognize the second layer is one that we maybe could either reduce or completely eliminate. Well, and exactly. I mean, and... Again, living intentional. Like, so you guys asked me a question in the email before the podcast, and, and you guys said something like, I heard you're going to Florence to save money. And ironically, <laughs> we're not going to Florence to save money. That was not why we're going to Florence. But what you might have heard me say on another podcast is when my wife wanted to know what we were going to spend, she was the one going to find the apartment because she's in real estate. So she told me what she thought our budget was going to be. She's like, Well, I just assumed that we would spend in this range based on what we spend in New York. And I said, No, 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 no. I said, the fact that we have to spend that in New York does not mean we have to spend that in Florence. <laughs> I, I want to go live in Florence for half the price because right. we moved to Italy. It's not supposed to be as expensive. And she's like, oh, well, I don't know if we can find something like what we have for, the, for half the price. I'm like, well, let's try, right? Like, and really, the more intentional thing I said to my wife was, let's go to Florence with an attitude that's all about experiences and not about stuff, right? So let's figure out how we can live abroad for half the price because lots of people do it. And let's go focus on seeing a lot of things and having a lot of experiences. And I'll tell you what's really was interesting about the process of that is we had multiple agents show us real estate in Florence. And I learned that there's called the American expat factor, which is basically, let's see how much we can charge a stupid American. <laughs> and then there's the Italian rate. And the Italian rate turned out to be a third of what the stupid American expat rate was. And so we had four real estate agents, and then we found a, an Italian agent through an Italian friend, and we found the most gorgeous apartment that is as nice as what I have in New York, and it has cost me one-third the price. And so you know, just that conscious decision and statement to my wife and the effort that we made to try to do what I just said earlier, that's a six-figure savings for us. Wow. Wow. And that's a lot of money because I said, like, that just covered all the travel for the entire year. Just that amount of savings. We can now travel every single weekend across Europe. And it was because we asked the question, how would we not pay the same amount of money? Right. How could we have an equal or better experience for less money? And by the way, a lot of people are moving abroad because the reality is you can live an amazing life and you can retire <laughs> abroad too for a lot less money. Like the insurance, I, I have to, in order to get my visa, I have to keep my American insurance. Um, but, you know, the reality is insurance in Italy is the cost of insurance in Italy is less than for the year, the cost of my insurance in the United States for a month. Wow. And wow. the Italian insurance covers more than the insurance I have in the U.S., which, you know, Americans have no idea how bad our health insurance is. They just think, you know, we know most Americans don't even have a passport and they haven't traveled abroad. So they're busy watching the news like Fox and, and they think that we have this great healthcare system when reality is we have a horrible healthcare system that's way too expensive and there is actually better programs out there. But that just went off on a complete tangent. You can always cut that part out at the end. Of the <laughs> no, no I, I think it's, a, it's appropriate because sometimes looking for the latte factor, you need to look beyond what is your norm. You may have to look beyond what you may feel as uh, comfortable. That's the reason why we're going to Spain. As we said, after visiting there, we love being here. We can actually live here cheaper for a while than we can in the States. And we want to spend as much time together. That's our whole purpose in, with our business is to be able to spend time together why not do it in a place that we love that costs us less money? <laughs> right. Where, by the way, where in Spain are you guys going to go? Do you know yet? Sichez. It's just south of Barcelona. Oh, fantastic. You know, and it's like that's going to inspire other people to do things like this, which is why I'm sharing with people that I'm going to Florence. I, I got inspired to do this trip abroad for a year because one of my best friends moved to Barcelona for a year with his family, with little kids. And we went to go visit him the first month he was in Barcelona. And I looked at my wife and I said, you know, we could do this. Why couldn't we do this too at some point? 
And that was five years ago. And, and here's the interesting thing about life, because I know we got to wrap this up. But, you know, when someone goes off and does something amazing that, you know, like when, when I saw my friend go to Barcelona, I said, you know, there's three types of people when they hear you're going to go move abroad or like you're going to go to Spain for three months. There's people or they hear I'm going to go to Florence for a year. There's three types of people. Those that go, oh, well, isn't that person lucky? Like, I mean, of course <laughs> they can go do it, right? Which means they're just basically bitter, right? Like, right. And then there's a the second person that goes, wow, that's so cool that you did that. Like, they're excited for you. And that's awesome. And then there's a the third person that goes, wow, that's amazing. I wonder if I could do that too. Mm-hmm. And it, boom, right? And, and so, you know, when you hear people talk about things that you're not doing that you want to go do, you know, it's a choice. Do you want to be the person that's bitter and cynical and like jealous? Do you want to be the person that's celebrating what that person did? Or do you want to be the person that celebrates and goes, huh, okay, they don't seem that special. Why couldn't we do this too? <laughs> and, and, and right. And like, that's a good question to ask yourself because we're not that special and you go do it too. <laughs> right. I love what you just said there because, you know, last year when David and I were going through um, Ireland and Spain the, the first time around, we were documenting a lot of that on, on a major platform. And one of the pieces of feedback that we received was, oh, well, it's easy for you guys to do this because you're rich. And and we're not rich, but we don't own a home. We have been driving the same car for 12 years. Uh, we have elected to not have children. So we have some expenses that a lot of people think are just a standard expense in life, when we've decided that those aren't things that we necessarily want, we'd much rather have the opportunity to travel for months on end. And that's right, the latte factor, right? Figure out what's most important to you and create a life that's designed around intentionally around what you want. Yeah, totally. Go create a dream life because this is your one chance to do it. This is your life. Stop taking your life for granted. I think that that's probably the way to end this podcast is like, right. stop taking your life for granted. Don't assume you're going to live 30, 40, 50 more years. Go act like you've got 10 years left to live and get going on the life you really want to have now. And I would just say to anybody who wants to know more about what we're doing, come on over to our website, davidbach.com. You can opt in. You'll get, you can get my newsletter, which is free, which I send out different things I like to share time to time. Um, we've got some new courses we created on our website. One is the Latte Factor class that you can take. It's like an all-day course. It's all available online. We have another course called Start Late, Finish Rich. It's available on our website. And yeah, go get the book. Whether you buy the book or you go get the book in the library, um, go get the book. And if someone get, listens to this soon, like, you know, I don't want you guys to air this, but Come to our website, thelattefactor.com, because we've got a special $250 bonus gifts of stuff that you can get when you buy the book off thelattefactor.com. Send us your receipt. You can join our private Latte Factor Facebook group. We've got like 4,000, almost 4,000 people now on our insider team. Nice. And yeah, come be a part of it. We'll definitely link up all, to all that in the show notes. <laughs> awesome. David Bach, thank you for your time. Yes, thank you. Thank you, David, for sharing your time and explaining the latte factor, the concept, and the book with our audience. As we often say here on Queer Money, little by little, a little becomes a lot. And that's the value of the latte factor. To all of our listeners, go out and get the latte factor. It's an enjoyable, relatable read, and the principles that David shares with his co-writer, John David Mann, are timeless. You will be inspired. We'll talk with you next week. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.